the kingdom of God defeats evil. So anything that's evil, so people go, well, what's evil? Ultimately, it's anything which dehumanizes us as people. So evil is something that dehumanizes us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast. We are a salty podcast because we want to coach you up to think for yourself. We want you to answer the most important questions about your life. Why are you here? Does your life have any value to it? What's the point of having another day in life? Those are the questions we're trying to answer. Therefore, if you want to think for yourself and if you want to answer the biggest questions of your life for yourself, you're, and if you're tired of being manipulated, gaslighted, or deceived, and you want to stand on a firm foundation, then the Salty Pastor Podcast is for you. Every Tuesday, we dig into the Bible, defining the answers to the most important questions of life. And then on Thursday, we apply those truths to what's going on around mm -hmm. us. So give yourself a great Christmas present this season. Become a regular Salty Pastor listener and join the Salty crew. Just give it a thumbs up and subscribe. You'll be glad you did. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host. But the centerpiece of the Salty Pastor podcast is none other than the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Man, you say that Salty Pastor himself thing really fast. You're getting good at that. There you go. Welcome, everybody. I'm glad you're here. Merry Christmas. We're going into a great time of the year where we celebrate the birth of Christ. And just so you know that the world in which we live today has gone off the rails, it's not a fan of Jesus, and it's definitely not a fan of what he proclaimed, what he taught, and the kind of people that he's calling us to become. So don't be surprised as we get saltier on the salty pastor that the society around you gets crazier and crazier. So on Tuesday, we started this final chapter in our theme for the year, the kingdom of God. And we often hear the phrase, preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. But what does the gospel actually mean? I think that's a Christianese term that sometimes gets glossed over and you become a believer and you don't ever actually know what that definition is. And that definition simply means that it's the good news or truth. What truth did Jesus preach? He preached that the kingdom of God is now in our midst. That's the truth he preached. The one thing the Jews had waited for over a thousand years had finally come to them, the kingdom of God. However, it wasn't the kingdom that they had envisioned it to be. It wasn't an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly kingdom built on the foundation of Jesus Christ himself. And it has come to us in Jesus, and now we can live it. Yeah, you know, when we start uh, to see how Jesus was born as we're celebrating his birth at this time of the year, he was born, though, with the purpose to bring about the kingdom of God here on earth. Uh, so when you see that, you realize, wow, he was born as a king. I, I don't I think sometimes we get the impression from the way we celebrate Christmas is that it was kind of like a sneaky little thing. You know mm. what I'm saying? And a sleepy little village and all that kind of stuff. But in, from God's perspective, it wasn't a sleepy little thing at all. He came to conquer. He, it was the birth of a kingdom led by a new king, and he came to conquer. And we talked about that on Tuesday when we said that an uh, army of angels mm, yes. came forth. Remember that? And then we talked in Isaiah, all the prophecies are about a new kingdom. You know, and what will his kingdom be like and how will he rule? And so when you bring a new kingdom, you have to conquer the old kingdom. So what did he conquer? Well, he broke the power of the ruler of this world. He conquered Satan and he broke his back. So the purpose of his birth can't be lost with this whole mission 
uh, in mind as you begin to think it. So, you know, some of my fondest memories growing up were celebrating Christmas, right, with my family. Mm -hmm. And as a child, I had this slightly skewed understanding of the birth of Jesus. You know, like we talked about, you, you brought up last week about the comedic show where the NASCAR guys make fun of little baby Jesus, you right. know? Uh, and I thought what was interesting is, is sometimes as kids, we, we just kind of look at the baby, the baby, the baby mm-hmm. and how sleepy and sweet and the little animals. And okay. The purpose of that was to show that the King in the new kingdom was humble, right? You know, it didn't come in glory. It came simply. And so what's really amazing about that, though, is that it doesn't understate that he was a king as well. That's the whole point of the Magi coming. You know, we saw the king's star uh, in the West and we wanted to come and worship. You know, you don't worship, right? You know, little baby Jesus, you worship a king. And so a king was born. And so I don't want us to miss that point that he is the king of kings and he is the lord of lords it's a celebration of a new kingdom and our hope and prayer that his kingdom come and his will be done absolutely and i think it's just so important to realize that that was the beginning of the greater story it's really easy to get lost in the he did come in a silent night right and it was quiet but that's not the way he stayed and i think that's how most people like to think of him it's not the one that was flipping tables in the temple and calling right. people to change their life and fighting Satan and breaking his back. That's not the king that they envisioned. They envisioned little baby Jesus. And right. it's like, yeah, it is important that we recognize that he came that way, but that's not the way he stayed, right? Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people think they, what's the, they, he Peter panned, basically. He just stays baby Jesus forever, right? Right. And this is not Peter Pan Jesus. Nope. This is big warrior king Jesus yeah. who came for a reason and a person per, yes. uh, purpose. The boy becomes a king, yes. and that's really important. So, and I think this kingdom, you know, sense or perspective is critical because when you really think about it, you have to ask yourself: Okay, he came to build a new kingdom, establish a new kingdom, and in order to do that, he has to defeat the old kingdom. So, what is he defeating? You know, I think we got to go through a list of some of the things that are uh, incongruent with the kingdom of God. These are things that are, that don't mesh with the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is opposed to, right? Mm. In in let's start in a general sense, the kingdom of God defeats evil. So anything that's evil, so people go, well, what's evil? And ultimately it's anything which dehumanizes us as people. So evil is something that dehumanizes us and it could be the It could be violence towards other people, right? Violence is evil, but disease is evil. You know, disease and sickness, we weren't meant to uh, experience. And that's why when people get sick, they often ask the question, why? Why is this happening to me? Because in their soul, they they think this is incongruent with what it means to be alive, is to get sick or to get cancer or get something. So cancer and these types of things are are evil, you know, um, there's, uh, uh, the way the world works, you know, sometimes there's an earthquake, right. And it opens up and it destroys a home and buildings collapse and kill people, you know, 
And we go, well, that's evil too, right? These things are all evil. And what I find so interesting is over the years is there's a lot of people who have a very immature, almost, you know, childish mentality. They go, well, if, if there is a God, then why do evil things happen like that? Mm. And I go, well, the Bible's really clear why evil happens. You know, it's pretty clear. <laughs> yeah. and that is, it's your fault. It's not God's fault. You, you know, Adam and Eve brought evil into the world through freedom of choice. The reason there's evil in the world is because it exists in the human heart, and that is in our capacity to choose uh, evil or good. Okay, and every human being has to struggle with that at some level or some point every day of their life, right? So that's where evil comes from, and that evil is also influenced creation, right? It says that in Romans that creation moans and groans as if it's in the pangs of childbirth, mm. you know, because evil has come into the world. So that's why we have, you know, tsunamis or earthquakes or things. It's, it's, it's the world has been corrupted by evil. So evil is something that just goes across the board. And so, you know, not only is sickness evil, not only is violence evil, but, you know, if we want to get specific, one of the biggest dehumanizing things that existed from the beginning of time is the whole notion of slavery, right? And the kingdom of God is opposed to slavery because it sees slavery as evil because it dehumanizes another person. And what's really fascinating about this is the only belief system that has overcome uh, slavery is Christianity. And it's done it three times throughout hu human history. The first time it happened was about 1600 years ago when it basically got rid of slavery in the Roman Empire. You know, the Roman Empire was built on slavery mm -hmm. and it wasn't chattel slavery. Chattel slavery is what we experienced in the 17 and 1800s. It's a very short period of slavery, right? And chattel slavery is basically the notion of ethnic type slavery, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but Christianity stopped this and completely eradicated it in the Roman Empire. Then what happened is slavery cropped up again in a different form and it was the feudal economic system. And a lot of people don't know that this was a form of slavery. As a matter of fact, it was very similar to the slavery that you read about in the New Testament where it says, you know, slaves obey your master. It, this is more of a form of indentured servanthood, right? So it, had, it wasn't chattel slavery at all. And so uh, what's interesting about it is the feudal system, though, really came, uh, was defeated by the notion of Christianity. And that is, is that a lot of people are not aware, but under the feudal system, what happened is you were peasants, right? And you, you had a Lord, right? And everybody was a subject, right? Do you, do you know when the British people stopped being subjects of the King, which is basically meaning they were owned by the of King the monarchy? Yeah, they stopped being subjects. They became citizens of the UK. I don't know the year. My British history is bad. 1948. Oh, my gosh. Really? Yes. That recent? Yes. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So it's really fascinating, you know. you Are you a subject or a citizen? So uh, Christianity is the one that influenced that. But here's the thing about it that's so interesting is that Christianity also, we'll talk this about later, it was 
it tried early on for a period of time. It was used by rulers, you know, to advance politically. But Christianity always reformed away from that. It's like, well, you can't coerce people. Right. You can't force people. They have to do it. Yeah, they have to have free choice. And so what's really interesting is that is that it never took oh, Christianity actually never took over and then said, okay, we banish slavery. It always did it through influence, right? Mm-hmm. And more and more people grew that. And then finally the society would say, okay, we're not doing that anymore. We're getting rid of it. We're getting rid of the feudal system. It doesn't work, right? And then finally the chattel slavery that happened in America. Uh, well, it's actually the African slave trade. A lot of people are not aware that over 70 or 80% of the slaves went to South America. They didn't come to America. Very few people in America actually own slaves. Only about 2% of the, of the population own slaves. 3,500 uh, black people own slaves, right? And so it's really quite fascinating. We, we've listened to some clips on the Salty Pastor of some black historians talking about this. Like, you know, yeah, let's not forget where the slave trade came from in this chattel slavery. But the question isn't, was it present? The real question is who got rid of it and why? Right. And getting rid of slavery was 100% an abolitionist movement driven by Christians in the church. And so the underground railroad was all through the church. Right. Um, all of these things were through the church is all about Christianity. And so it took a while, but eventually Christianity, uh, defeated it. And what's really fascinating about this, a lot of people are not aware of this, but Foothills Christian Churches comes out of a movement called the Restoration Movement. And it basically got its name in, started in 1812 with a guy by the name of Thomas Campbell and his son, Alexander Campbell. And they basically said, we're tired of all the sectarian denominations and all this division. We want to try to, you know, restoration. We want to restore the church to the first century model. And so that's why it became the restoration movement. It's like anybody can be a part of this movement if they have salvation in Christ and they profess Christ. And so what they did is they got rid of all the creeds. They got rid of all the denominational requirements. They, re- they started to worship openly. Anybody could come to worship. And so really, though, what got the claim to fame for the restoration movement and why it grew so rapidly and it became the fastest growing movement in the 1800s and after the Civil War is because one of the founders of the Restoration Movement, Alexander Campbell, came to uh, prominence and was really well known because he would travel throughout the South before the Civil War. He traveled throughout the South arguing biblically against slavery because there were a bunch of people in the south who were saying well the bible supports it and we can prove it and he would go down there and go oh really and he would debate these people and he would just shred them with the bible he would just say dude you'd have no idea what you're talking about the bible doesn't teach that doesn't say that you have a total misunderstanding of that and so he would shred these guys and what happened is there were these uh uh journalists that would follow him and as a matter of fact one set of journalists started a whole magazine called the millennial harbinger and uh, what he did is they would just type up the transcripts of these debates, right? And that's how they became really prominent because people would read these debates. It's it just phenomenal. And it just reminds me, like, today we look at people in our society and how they become really popular. How did Charlie Kirk become popular? How did Ben Shapiro become popular? How did uh, uh, Steve Crowder become popular? How did all these guys become popular, Right. By going on college campuses and debating people. <laughs> mm. 
and then they show it on YouTube, and people are like, yeah. who is that guy? Well, they just stole a, a chapter from something a couple hundred years ago at the beginning of the Restoration Movement. And Alexander. <laughs> yeah, Alexander Campbell. So isn't that interesting how all that is connected? But yeah. anyway, back on subject, I apologize for digressing for a moment, <laughs> the history, is that the kingdom of God, that Jesus came, and what we celebrate at Christmas is this new kingdom, and this kingdom is unequivocally opposed to slavery in any form. It, it's, it's, it's opposed to communism, 100%. And the reason why is because in communism, you do not own your labor the state owns your labor. The state owns you, okay? You cannot take away the freedom of choice, and that's what the kingdom of God is opposed to, and it opposed to any political system, any economic system, any governmental system that seeks to achieve the removal of liberty from human beings. Yeah, I think that, it's so important to understand that this wasn't, um, I mean, people were involved. God used people to eliminate these forms of slavery, but it's all yes. based off of what he's come to do for all of us, right? All like of us. he's setting us free from the grander slavery of sin yes. to sin. And we're just playing this out in smaller ways where the world has fallen into other forms of slavery, right? Yeah. And, and Christians have been at the forefront of helping lead the charge at um, abolishing all those forms of slavery because we understand and we see the grander scale of we have been set free yeah. from slavery before, so we should be trying to get rid of it in all of its forms throughout the world. Yeah. Spiritual, ideolog ideologically, physically. Yes. That's exactly what you're talking order, about. Right? Those are the three fronts of the war that the new kingdom is fighting. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about um, why else this this birth of Jesus is so important and what Well, what I think the that's new kingdom that he brought about by his presence in this world is that the kingdom of God is absolutely opposed in any way shape or form to secularism, you know? Secularism is a unique ideology, okay? And it was this belief uh, that well, there's a neutral system of government that allows people with differences of opinion, differences of religion, differences of culture to coexist in peace alongside one another. And so in the 60s in particular, it was like, well, you can't pray in school. We're a secular society. We're a non-religious society. And so that's going to make us more fair, right, and more just. Well... Did that happen? No. No, it didn't. What we are is we are a more polarized, angry, fighting against our fellow citizens now more than any time, it seems to me, in human or in the history of America. And that is, is that this notion of secularism is an experiment that did not work. As a matter of fact, I would say it, it's proven fatal. Um, liberty of thought, freedom, the doctrine of non-coercion is expressly Christian in its origin. Okay, That's why in secularism, it opened itself up and it's been taken over by radicals, right? Who want to cancel people. They say, well, you can't have a job. You can't, you know, have a voice. 
you don't get freedom of speech if you don't agree with our transgendered ideology. You know, it's just crazy. And uh, then, then all of this radical terroristic activity. I, I was just reading this morning in another shocking report, and that is Amazon, the this massive trillion dollar company. When the Black Lives Matter movement came out, they posted all this stuff about. Black Lives Matter and how this is unjust and we ha- we can't treat people like, you know, people are treating people who are black. This is inju- uh, uh, this injustice has to stop. Then Hamas comes out and kidnaps babies as hostages and murders 1500 people. And when Amazon was asked to comment, they said, well, we're not going to comment on it because it's too controversial. Mm. Okay. That seems to be the absurdity of secularism. There's no moral clarity and there's no common principle or core value that binds us together as a unified people. Uh, This also plays over into economics. You know, for instance, uh, secularism was the idea that, well, we can have this economic system and people can do whatever they want within it, but that has proven to be false. Is secularism has propagated this advocacy for communism and socialism and all this kind of stuff uh, un- under a free market system of economics. You can be whatever you want to be economically. Did you know in America you can be a communist and you can form a commune and you can employ communist uh, fiscal policy in your commune? You can do that. Right. You can set it up, you can buy property, you can build a fence, and you can live there, and and you can all be communists together, right? right. But guess what? You can't, you can't have a free market economy in a communist country mm. at all. can't. It's illegal, okay? Uh, you can um, form a socialist corporation today, right? You can be socialist, and the way socialist is described in university today, which is completely inept, but... The one they use is, well, the workers own the means of production. Even though the workers don't take any risk to create production, that's irrelevant. But the workers should own the means of production. Well, guess what? In America, you can do that. I don't know if you know this, but Winco, which is a big shopping corporation, you know, shopping center where a lot of people shop at up here in Idaho and kind of in the West. Yeah. And that is Winco is an employee owned company. So the employees own the means of production for their jobs. Mm. So they are a socialist company. But what's really fascinating about it is their CEO makes over $700,000 a year and the average worker doesn't make anywhere close to that. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? Uh, But there is profit sharing at the end, but, so, so you can do that, but on the other hand, in a socialist country, you can't be anything else except for socialist, right? And that's what creates ineptitude. And so I, and a lack of productivity is when nobody wants to take the risk or lead people. It just simply becomes how much can we take out of the system before it collapses? Uh, Venezuela is a perfect example of this. You know, it was the wealthiest country in South America 30 years ago. And then Chavez took over and he rewrote the constitution. He gutted it. And then now he died of cancer. And now Maduro is in charge and it's now one of the poorest countries in South America. 
Isn't that fascinating? That is fascinating. I think that the kingdom of God is opposed to secularism because what it does is secularism cannot determine it can't it make it's supposed to make no moral judgment that one system is better than the other. But what happens then is that whatever group within that system is more violent and abusive can take over. All right? And force their what they want on other people. Secularism can't stop that. Okay? It doesn't work. What does stop that is Christianity. Because Christianity says, yeah, you have a right to be a commune. You have a right to be socialist company. You have a right to do this. But you do not have the right to impose your values on other people. So, oh, that's a value judgment. Secularism has no values. So how can it make a value judgment? It can't. (laughs) Well, guess what does have values? ideology and one ideology that allows for diversity in a free market is Christian Mm. ideology. So the kingdom of God is opposed to coercion. It's opposed to these enforcing other people. And that's why it is opposed to things like communism and socialism. It it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. Yeah. I think the, the understanding that the, the base ideology of what the world's trying to spin out to us these days is not working, right? We Correct. see that day in, day out, that the world is not getting better, right? The more we lean into the progressive nature of what the world is trying to mm-hmm. feed us, right? And so we have to look at what works and what we have been seeing and what allows the most opportunity for people to flourish is Christian in nature. And we mm-hmm. can't do these weird uh, offshoots that kind of take some aspects of it. Cause I think secularism kind of in some ways the Christian thought of you, well, yes, you can have freedom and yes, you can think what you want to think. But the, the key is secularism allows for you to basically go and force it on other people. Right. And Christianity well, it can't, says, it can't stop nefarious groups from imposing it on other people. Right. That's why it's weak. Yeah, and that's why it's it's falling apart and, and tearing the world apart versus Christian, which is, yes, you can think that, but the moment it starts impugning or starts spreading evil, then you can't. We, we have to stop it, right? Yeah. And I think that's really important. We have a few minutes left. Are there anything else that you want to talk, uh, shout out that the kingdom of God is opposed to? Well, I think one of the things is the kingdom of God is opposed to worldly identities, confused identities, self-centered identities. And this, this is, all comes down to an issue of personhood. How do you define what it means to be a person? Uh, and we've talked about Carl Truman's book, you know, in, in the past and how... Uh, what, what has happened philosophically in America in, in the development of what he calls a psychological man. And the whole point of the psychological man is you can be whatever you believe yourself to believe. Mm. And so what we've done is we have overemphasized sexuality and, and then we've tried to build identity, human identity around sex. Not only does that uh, confuse people, but it actually ruins sex. In my opinion, it takes all the fun out of it. Um, it's just, it's just ridiculous. And it propagates all these things that are really, really damaging for human beings. I mean, these are truths that the kingdom of God is opposed to the destruction of human beings through the abuse of sex. The, the kingdom of God's opposed to that. You know, I was just reading recently how there's all these women that are really, um, depressed they're very sad 
because they spent their 20s out partying and having a good time and having sex with whoever they wanted to. And so their body counts are in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, right? They, They have a high body count. And then what happens is they turn 30, 31, 32, and they think to themselves, well, I want to settle down now with the guy, and the guys won't have anything to do with them. Mm. And so now they're mad. They're mad, and they're calling these men insecure. These call, they're calling the, they have all these names for men, you know, and their biggest insult for these guys is passport bros, right? They call them passport bros. They hate that about young men. You know what the passport bro is? It's a man who moves to another country in his 30s to find a wife. Mm. And they go, why are you going to the Philippines? Why are you going to, you know, the former Eastern Bloc countries in Europe? Why are you going? They all say the same thing, and that is is that because these women want to be wives, right? And these women don't have really high body counts, right? Mm. And the other thing that has come out is there's a bunch of research that's happened right now that's kind of sad, and that is is that if a female has uh, sexual relations with more than five or six men, what happens is the potential for her to be able to actually emotionally bond with a male for life after that is less than 20%. Mm. So it's really sad, these statistics that are coming out. We'll see... The, the behavior that our society is pushing on people is, is destructive, and the kingdom of God is opposed to that because the kingdom of God wants you to be healed and whole and abundant, right? And yet these ideologies, uh, like a lot of times today people are talking about the LGBTQ plus whatever community. Everybody thinks, oh, you're talking about lesbian and gay people, and now it's transgendered. But most people don't understand that the Q is a huge part of it, and nobody knows what the Q stands for. Well, what the Q stands for is queer theory. And what a lot of people are not aware of is that queer theory is a field of study at university, and it is a post-structuralist critical theory. Does that sound familiar to you a little bit? A little bit. A little bit, because the Frankfurt School of Social Theory was critical social theory. Mm. And, and so... This is an offshoot of that. And basically what it is trying to say is that, um, that it wants to say that heterosexual bondings, partner bondings, is not normal. Mm. And you're like, okay, that is really, really weird. The queer theory is the one that is trying to remove all of the age of consent for sex with children in all the state legislatures. They want to remove that because queer theory teaches that children should be able to have sex with adults. Mm. Is that good or bad? That's bad. That's bad. And so I could go on and on about this. I, I know it's Christmas and people are like, why are you talking about that for Christmas? Well, the reason why is because what Christmas is is a celebration of a new kingdom. And this kingdom is opposed to evil things and everything i talked about today is evil and what our society is trying to do is normalize evil Mm. to the point where we're just immune to it and so what happens when we become immune to evil well we start living only in the old kingdom and we reap what we sow whereas 
Christians need to say, the new kingdom has already won. It's already conquered. Christ came. He established it. What can we do now to take this kingdom? The greatest celebration at Christmas is how can I take the kingdom of God and see it grow? Absolutely. Well, thank you, Pastor Doug, so much for sharing with us. Um, yes, like you said, it's it's not the typical Christ, uh, Christmas message you're used to hearing, but I think it is important <laughs> to understand why we're talking about it and what Jesus really came to do, right? He didn't yep. just come to be a baby. He didn't come just to hang out in a manger. He came with a purpose and a mission, and we need to be seeing his grand mission and celebrate that he came to do it, right? That's yes. the point. And we need to be focused on that as we go into the season because that's going to help us make sure we are celebrating the right thing this season and not getting swept up in what the culture tells us Christmas is all about. So we thank you guys for being here. We thank you for joining us. And we'll see you on Sunday here at Foothills Christian Church. See you then. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.